Welcome to uh, this episode of uh, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon with uh, guest uh, Steve O'Reilly. Yes, the uh, venerable drummer has played with Keel, L.A. Guns, Wasp, and many more. He's even appeared on American Bandstand. Woohoo! Uh, we are going to talk about his new album, Renegades, that uh, features classic L.A. Guns uh, member Kelly Nichols. Scott Griffin, who's played with L.A. Guns and a lot of other bands, and, of course, singer Kirk Froelich. I think I said that right, or Froelich. He was, unless I'm mistaken, Ace Fraley in the Black Diamond tribute band out of uh, Vancouver, Canada. So there you go, huh? Uh, yeah, I got, I got Kiss content on this. Anyway, I know, and I'm aware that putting out an interview with Steve Riley in this day and age is going to get me a lot of flack by uh, members of his former band, and it's going to get to be a cluster, f- for the lack of a better word. But, uh, you know, I just want to support uh, music and bands, and I-, I don't want to get involved in the politics of it all. So uh, I'm going to present this uh, interview with Steve. The band will be at the M3 Festival, uh, should it occur this year. It was scheduled for May. It's been rescheduled for Labor Day weekend in September. Now, where I am in Montreal, in Quebec here, they have cancelled all live events through August 31st. So I don't know if uh, things are going to be happening concert-wise, but uh, anyway. Uh, Do enjoy this chat with Steve, and I will also say, by the way, I've got about five or six interviews in the can, uh, including Dramarama, Glenn Hughes, a Canadian band called The Wild, and and a couple more. And my plan is to empty the cupboard of those interviews and then take a break. Not, uh, Not quit the show, not cancel the show, and no, I'm not looking for sympathy or, hey, Mitch, don't leave I just, I just think it's time for a little bit of a break. Not, to, not six months, and and not even uh, monthly. I, I'm thinking instead of doing two, three, four, five episodes uh, a week or a month, maybe bring it down to one or two special interviews just for a little bit, and then get back to a full steam. I'm just, I'm just running out of. Uh, Running out of I- energy, I think. I've been working the socials quite a bit, you know, the at Mitch Lafon Twitter and all that. And uh, I get a kick out of that. I, and so I, I really want to focus my energies on that. And let's be honest, folks. There is zero money in uh, podcasting, you know, especially now in this uh, COVID-19 age. Uh, advertisers aren't picking up ads, sponsors aren't picking up stuff, and fans that would donate aren't donating. Uh, Last month, in the month of March 2020, the podcast brought in an incredible $41. And there is no way that I can survive on $41. In fact, it doesn't even pay the infrastructure to get this up on... uh, Omni, the provider, and all that stuff. So uh, it's it's diminishing returns, it's labor intensive, and you know uh, it, it's just just time to focus my energies somewhere else. I, I, I'm going to keep doing these, but just not at the rate that I'm doing them. That's all I'm saying. I'm, I'm not 
quitting or canceling. And again, I am not looking for sympathy. Uh, I am not looking for, hey, Mitch, you can do this. That that's That's not at all what this is about. This is just about slowing it down where it makes sense for the energy that goes into it and the money that comes out of it sort of balances out. And at $41 a month uh, to do six, seven, eight, nine shows, it, it's ridiculous. It, it it just, it doesn't balance out. You know, 41, 41 bucks for two shows a month. Okay. You know, that, that seems reasonable anyway. So let us get over to Steve Riley. Sorry for raining on everybody's parade, but this has been on my mind for, for quite a while. So I, I'm just going to put the interviews out that I have, step back, reevaluate, but uh, will be fully, fully engaged on uh, social media. Just a lot of content on social media. I love doing that stuff. I love the feedback from the fans. Uh, so I will continue doing that. Anyway, here he is. The one, the only, drummer extraordinaire, Steve Riley. We are speaking with a drummer Steve Riley. The new album is called Renegades. Bonjour, Mr. Riley. How are you? I'm doing good, my friend. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, so let, let's get right into into Renegades. Talk to me about putting this album together with with Kelly Nichols. Because, of course, you know, you've done so much over the years. You've done... You know, Keel and and Wasp and L.A. Guns and the Bees or the Buzz or whatever they whatever that band was called. <laughs> hey, we'll talk about them in a minute because you were on American Bandstand, so we got to talk about that. But uh, when you look at this, do you just sort of say that the slate is clean and we're just going to make the best rock record that we can make, or do you say, okay, the fans expect another Sex Actions, the fan expect another Right to Rock. How, how do you sort of approach this project? Well, you know what we did? You know, obviously, we got together to do the M3 show last year, and it went so well, and um, I spoke with you about it because you were there, and uh, it went over so good that we got uh, a lot of people that wanted to work with us, and one of them was Golden Robot Records. They contacted us right away and said they'd love to do a record with us, and so, you know, we knew that me, Kelly Nichols, Scotty Griffin, and Kurt Froelich were going to stay together. We were going to do some more shows together, and we were going to take it slowly. We didn't really know what the future held, but we knew that we enjoyed playing together. We really respected each one's talent, and we just felt like we really hit on something special, especially after doing M3. We really knew that we, we were onto something. And so as the summer and the fall went on, we had talked with, uh, you know, we got new management, and that was Eric Baker and Bobby Collin, and we, um, over at Primary Wave, New Breed, and we had um, talked to Golden Robot Records, and then once we knew that we were going to do the album with Golden Robot, we obviously were living all over the country in different areas right now, all four of us. Kurt's in Florida, um, Kelly's up in New York, Scotty's in Las Vegas, and I'm in Los Angeles. So, you know, we knew that this was going to be a little bit of a challenge to see where we were with material and what we had and what we could do. But, you know, all of us are writers and all of us were sitting on material that we had written 
previously and we were, it, it wasn't recorded and it wasn't played by any bands, but it was material that each one of us had written separately. So what we started doing was utilizing the internet. Thank God for that because of this pre-production that we did. We only did a two day pre-production together in LA before we recorded it. But the beyond before that, we had done about two months of going back and forth. Once we knew we were going to record with Golden Robot, we had started going back and forth and sending each other material that each one of us had. And we all had a lot of it. So we, um, you know, we started listening. We started ta talking about which, which songs each guy liked. And it was a very democratic process, too, where we were listening to each other about what we thought would be good for the band and what would fit for us right now. So we sent each other back and forth a lot of material, and then we narrowed it down to really 10 to 12 songs. I would say like a dozen songs. And um, we decided on those songs that we wanted to record together. And then... I had to put together a schedule that was going to be a real one of these schedules where you, we just had to go for it. It was going to be flying everybody into Los Angeles, doing a two day, an all day and all night, two day pre-production in a locked out rehearsal studio over at Mates in North Hollywood. And we just went at it, putting the songs together and, um, like I said before then, we had worked on them through the internet and let Kurt have each song and see how he wanted to put lyrics to some of them that didn't work completely and, uh, finished with lyrics. And, you know, all, each one of us had suggestions about what we could do with those songs. So when we did get together in L.A. for the two days, it was connected right to the seven days of recording. So it was two days of pre-production into seven days of recording. So it was nine days together in Los Angeles. And uh, we just really got down to business. It was a really, really nice process. And it was a fun process too, because it wasn't uptight at all. We felt good about everything. We had time over those two months to live with the material through the internet and passing it back and forth. And so when we got together at Mates, we just really got down to business and put together the 10 best songs that we had. And uh, we, we put them together. And then after those two days, the following third day, we went into the studio and we, we were going to do that. We, I had it all planned out how we were going to do the beds for two days, guitars for three days and the vocals for four days. It was just going, it was just crazy. It was a crazy schedule and uh, we pulled it off. We really just got down the business and I ended up recording the entire album, all of my beds, the 10 songs in the first day. We started very early in the morning getting drum sounds. And then once the band was in there, two hours after I got my drum sounds, we just went at it. We took a little bit of a food break, but we recorded all 10 tracks of my beds right in that first day. And I, I was really adamant about trying to get that done because I knew our budget was short 
And I also knew our time was short because everybody was living in L.A. And so that was part of the budget, too, to get everybody to L.A., to house them, to get everybody a PD so we could eat like normal people each day. And it was a very tight budget and a tight schedule. So after I did my beds in the, the first day, we just got down to business. Kelly did all his bass parts right away. Scotty did his guitars with Kurt. And then Scotty went and did his lead guitars. And then we gave Kurt uh, about four days to record all of those vocals, which is outstanding because you you just don't do albums like that. Those that that's a that's an old way of doing it. Like when you hear Ozzy and Tony Iommi talk about how they did Sabbath one and Sabbath two, Paranoid. They they did it, and it was a two week three-week period of just going for it, recording, mixing, mastering, and just doing everything. And that's how we did this album. It was the first time I had done an album like that, uh, that where we were just nonstop and we were on a, such a tight schedule. And that's really what we did. And then I let everybody go home after the recording. And I went in with the engineer and we mixed it for four days. And then me and the engineer, we took it over to the mastering studio and we mastered it in a day. And so it was a really, really tight schedule, but we're really happy with the way it turned out. We don't think it was an overthought thing. We didn't overthink it and we didn't try to like dissect it too much. We just went in and did what we have to, they had to do. And uh, we were really happy with what, 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 what the end result. Yeah, and and I really like the uh, the first single uh, crawl. I mean, uh, I like that old school way of doing it, like the first Black Sabbath album or the first Poison album, where it's done within right. you know three four days. Because this stuff of overthinking stuff and fly this in and Pro Tools that it's like, ugh, that's yeah. not rock and yeah, that's that, not rock and roll absolutely. at all. Um, I totally agree with you, Mitch. Yeah, totally agree. Let me let me ask you this: uh, When uh, we did the L.A. Guns Wasted album, we covered Cold Gin, or the Cold Gin track was was added to it. Uh, right. Kurt, of course, was in Black Diamond, this famous Kiss tribute uh, band. Any thought, and that's just sort of a joking question, but any thought of maybe covering a Kiss song and and maybe bringing a little bit of his roots into the project? Well, you, and you're talking about Kurt, right? Yeah, because he, he was, yes. I believe he was Ace Fraley in Black Diamond, or, or he was somebody in Black he Diamond. He was. Yeah. He was, and that, and that right there shows you he's not only such a, 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 to me, a great lead singer where he's got a great voice and a great delivery, and he, he really knows how to phrase uh, lyrics, too. But he to, in, for in, in order for him to do the Ace Fraley part, you got to be a really good guitar player too. So it just shows you Kurt so talented that he could play guitar great. So with Scotty playing lead and Kurt playing rhythm, uh, we knew we had a great uh, duo of guitars because uh, Kurt playing rhythms, they're so strong, which is why I can't wait for you to hear the rest of the album. The rest of the album is just terrific. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is funny that, you know, when we think about bringing some of the roots in of what other people did, I think we did do that without consciously doing it and saying, let's do something like a Kiss cover. 
But I mean, you know, it's 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 always a possibility that we could pull something like that yeah, out. Yeah, come on, pull out we're, cold we're, gin. We're, we're, pull we're out cold gin. Come on. Hands. It was it was yeah, on it was absolutely. on it, it was on the wasted EP. People would love to. Now let me talk to you about that for a second because the band has gone through many different singers, and some right. of the music over the years disappears, and and the band focuses on the first one and on Cocked and Loaded on Hollywood Vampires. Now that you have this project with Kurt, do, do you look at American hardcore? and Wasted, and Shrinking Violet, and some of all these other bands with different singers, and just say, hey, you know what? It'd be a kick for a fan to hear one of these songs. I'm not asking that the, the set list be 15 of these songs, but, you know, you throw right. one in there and go, hey, you know what? I, there's some fans that like Shrinking Violet. We're going to give them this one song. Is that something that you would consider? Well, you know what? I, I, I don't know if that would be something that we would really consider, only because when Kelly decided to do this with me. He's such a prolific songwriter and he's such an original guy for in every way. His, his whole look, his, he did, he did all the artwork for the album. He's, he's got such a great artistic look out, outlook on everything. And he's also a prolific songwriter and he is the one that brought in crawl. He's the one that brought the song in and he brought that in, and there's two other songs on the album, uh, Well-Oiled Machine and Renegades, the song Renegades itself. And he brought those three songs in, and they were so Kelly, and they were so original. And everybody knows that Kelly wrote Ballad of Jane, and that was just one of the songs that he brought in to L.A. Guns that, you know, we all kind of finished everything off once it gets into the studio and that's why we share credit on everything but the original gist of the song about a jane that was kelly he brought in that hook he brought in that melody and then we kind of finished the song off but he is a prolific songwriter and he had been out of the game for a while doing other stuff and he was even even wondering whether or not he still had it in him to be able to write. So when we started the process of writing and putting this album together, a lot of his creative juices started to flow. And he even surprised himself. He even had a lot more than those three that he brought in. Because, you know, the album is pretty much split up with the 10 songs. Kelly brought in three Kurt brought in four of the songs. I brought in two and Scotty brought in two, but one ended up not making the album, but it will make the next album when we do record. But the thing is, is everybody brought in stuff. So when Kelly got involved with this, you know, he wanted it to be a totally original LA guns and stay true to LA guns form too. It was a real, real important thing to him and, and, and to me too. And I, I got to say, even to Kurt and Scotty, they were very all adamant about it being an L.A. Guns sounding album, especially with me and Kelly and the band and Scotty playing with us for so long. And Kurt's been such a fan of L.A. Guns for, uh, from the very beginning that it was very important for us to make this an L.A. Guns album. And so, you know, like I said, when, when Kelly got involved in starting to write songs, he was really adamant in making this 
an original L.A. Guns album that nobody's heard, that nobody's really heard the songs before. And uh, so, you know, I mean, those songs, I'm very, very proud of everything we did. Even the stuff when Tracy was out of the band and even the stuff when Phil was out of the band, I'm still proud of everything that we did. I'm one of those guys that will never put down what I recorded and say, wow, I wish we didn't do that. I'm really happy with everything that I recorded with LA Guns because for the time that it was recorded, it was it felt good and it was the right thing and to me and it felt all the way 100% good all the way through. So you'll never hear me put down anything that I did. Like I said, anything without Phil, anything without Tracy, it, it, we, and it, I, I just like everything that I've done with LA Guns. Yeah, and I, and I got to say, one of the, the albums that you did uh, with Chris Van Dahl there, the, uh, the the version of Black Sabbath, the bonus track to American Hardcore, was, was so good. So, so good. All oh, right, but I agree. I agree. I we, agree. We have yeah. talked L.A. Guns for 25 years now, so I'm going to ask you a couple of things I haven't asked you before. So let me let me go to this band in the early 80s that you were with. The B apostrophe Z Z the buzz though I don't I don't even know how you pronounce it but yeah it's called the bees the, the bees. bees okay so you did this album called Get Up and it was produced by Tom Worman now of course Tom does Cheap Trick he does the Motley Crue stuff he's you know his his pedigree is is long and wide and ranging and, and just terrific stuff what was it like working with Tom Worman, the guy who brought us all those Cheap Trick albums, did he have a, a different way of doing things? Did did he have a special ear? Because uh, if you listen to The Buzz or The Bees, um, it's a great straight-ahead, pure rock and roll album. I agree totally, and it did, never really got a chance to get off the ground. Uh, it, we didn't really have a lot of management direction at the time. We, but here's what happened with that. Now, you remember, we did that Bees album before Motley even recorded, maybe before Motley was even put together. We recorded that in 81. Right. And so and so the reason why Tom Worman was chosen was we were trying to get, not only were we big fans of Tom Worman from doing all of the Ted Nugent stuff and all of the Cheap Trick stuff, and he did a number of great albums in the 70s that all of us were fans of, but he was also the head of A&R for Epic Records at the time. So when we were looking for a record deal, we had to go through Tom Worman to get the record deal. And obviously, when he decided to sign the band, we asked him, will you produce the album also? So it was like a package deal. Tom signed us and he produced the album. But you got to remember... Um, we're big fans of Motley stuff, that, everything that they did. I, I, I have nothing but good stuff to say about Motley Crue. I think they're a great band, and I think they're all great musicians, and they've just done a number of really great albums. And I'm a huge fan of theirs, and I'm friends with them too. But um, the thing with uh, Worman was this was before he had done Motley. So this was on his reputation from what he did with Cheap Trick and Ted Nugent, that we thought that, please, could you produce the album too? Not only sign us, but will you take us in the studio? And luckily he decided to do it with us. And 
when we went into the studio with Worm and he has his own way of doing stuff and we followed him to the T and uh, we, we knew that he knew exactly what he wanted out of the band and what we should do. And uh, we just, we wish that album got a, a bigger chance. It didn't get a lot of, uh, of chance because the direction of the band through management, knowing what to do, because we were right there at the beginning of MTV, and that 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 Get Up video was right there when MTV was breaking. So you know we were right there to and had an opportunity with the door wide open, and we just couldn't capitalize on it because it really does take a whole team of people, not just the band. It takes management and agency and everybody to push that band through the door. And the bees, unfortunately, we didn't have that team of people around us that could do that at the time, but we had every opportunity to do it because we were right there at the beginning of MTV. We had a great band. And like you just mentioned too, we got, we were one of the bands to get to, we were, how's this? We were the only unsigned band to get on American Bandstand. And we, that's a, that's one of the things I love talking about is that the bees were the only unsigned band because when we did American Bandstand, when Dick Clark let us get on that show, we had not signed our record deal yet. It was before it. So it really helped us get signed to Epic Records and it impressed Tom Warman too. But it was a, it's a little thing, it's a little badge that I like to wear that we did get on American Bandstand as an unsigned band. So that's why you hear, if you ever watch it on YouTube. Oh, I did. I watched it tonight and I even watched the uh, interview where they said, and this is our drummer, Stephen Riley. I thought that was yes, Stephen Riley. Riley. I thought I thought that was cute. All right, so so let me ask you this because again we we've talked about L.A. Guns a million times. So I want to get a different side of you. Uh, you know, you do Roadmaster, sure. you do the Lawyers, you do the Bees, and then you're you're moving on to Keel. So sort of four projects in you know an eight year nine year span. Were you getting to the point where you were getting frustrated? Were just saying, man, why can't I just find the guys and move on? Or was it like, hey, you know what? This is a great journey and I'm going to keep going because it, it, there was a sort of a bounce around for a while. Were you Absolutely. frustrated at some point and just saying, I, I got to go maybe work at a fucking Ace Hardware store or something? Cause <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you know what it was? I always knew that I wasn't going to give up. I always knew that I was just going to push forward. I knew I had the temperament to know that if something didn't work, I was going to try to move on to another thing. I was never at the point where I was going to say, that's it. I, I can't play anymore. Everything I'm doing is only a one shot deal with one album and it breaks up and it doesn't get the exposure or the chance to tour behind it. So I always knew that I, I had the strength to keep moving on. But in that time frame too, because you know, just to mention the new album Renegades, I got to produce it too. You know, I got to follow the project through and record it and mix it and master it. And I get, and I get production credit on it. And it's the first album that I, I, I am the producer on, but in that nine year period, you got to remember with Roadmaster, 
Todd Rundgren produced that album. So I got to work with Todd Rundgren and Roadmaster. And then with the bees, I got to work with Tom Worman. Then I go with Keel and I get to work with Gene Simmons. So I've gotten to work with some great producers and that's before I even got started and got to work with Spencer Proffer with Wasp and then move on and, and get Tom Worman back to do um, Cocked and Loaded. And then, you know, obviously I did the four albums with Andy Johns. So I was really lucky, Mitch. I got to work with a lot of great producers that I love and really admire their work. And uh, you really did I picked up some. Well, uh, let me ask you this because yeah. you mentioned Cogden Load, and I don't mean to cut you off, but when, when Tom comes in and does that LA Guns record, is, right. is that a connection with you? And you go, hey, I know this guy, we worked together on the bees. Or was it just a label set here and, and you're like, hey, look at that. It's Tom. Hey, let's do this again. Like, how did that connection? No. Okay. Hey, you know what? I got to tell you right away. When I joined LA Guns, and I think I've told the story a few times. When I joined LA Guns, they had a whole machine put around them. They even had that producer that did the first album that I could, I really believed the first album could have been even bigger if it was produced better i i will go to my death thinking that i know that album with that material could have sounded even way better with a better producer but here's what happened when i joined la guns i was coming right from wasp that means like headlining long beach arena to going back to la guns and doing the country club in los angeles so i when i joined I saw that the machine that was built around them. Um, now remember, I'm coming from Wasp and I'm coming from Iron Maiden management and just huge agency and huge everything with Wasp. So when I joined LA Guns, I knew that the management and the agency and the accountant and the, just every deal was gonna have to be redone. And I pretty much did that on my own. I found the new management, Alan Kovac, on my own. I interviewed like about a dozen managers on my own. I went by myself. I was in LA Guns already. So I brought a bunch of people on that weren't with LA Guns when I joined. And we redid the whole machine. Now, once we redid the machine around us with new management, new agency, new everything, you know, Bill Elman, I, I got you know, tons of people on that were working for Wasp. And so when we were ready to do Cocked and Loaded, absolutely, I brought Tom Worman's name up. It, there was no doubt that I was going to bring Worman's name up because I knew everybody in L.A. Guns were big fans of Motley's and they were big fans of Ted Nugent's and Cheap Trick. They were big fans, all four of the guys that I was joining with. And so uh, I absolutely brought Worman's name up and they were like, really? And I said, yeah, I had already worked with him. So that was definitely a connection that I brought in also was Worman and Dwayne Barron. He came with Worman. And so, you know, it was definitely a connection that I knew about, I had worked with, and I brought them in. And so I don't, I don't really, I've never really taken credit for taking getting Mormon in there, but he was definitely somebody that I had worked with and suggested we should use. 
Yeah. All right. So let, let me ask you this then, because you, you did mention the Long Beach Arena, Live in the Raw, the Wasp album. Part of it was recorded there. Other part was in San Diego. Mm-hmm. You've got this three album run. You've got this live album. What happened where you said, okay, I'm going to step away from playing the Long Beach Arena and I'm going to go back to the clubs and slug it out? Uh, why, why the move? No, it was definitely not my move. I, I, I've told people so many times, I loved being in Wasp. I thought that Blackie, Chris Holmes, Randy Piper, and myself were a great band. I thought that we were on a roll, and I thought that not only theatrically did we look good, we sounded great live. We were absolutely making headliners shiver. And I mean big headliners because we tore up places. We got the crowd going so crazy. So like, you know, after we do uh, The Last Command, Blackie decides to fire Randy Piper. And that was firing, that was letting go a huge piece of the band because not only was he a great lead guitar player, remember he did a lot of the leads him and Chris, they were both lead guitar players, but a lot of those Billy Gibbons type of leads that you hear like on Blind in Texas, that's Randy Piper playing. So not only are we losing a great guitar player, but he was the second voice of the band too. He was that second voice. He was the guy that was harmonizing with Blackie on all of the songs. I sang a third part and Chris didn't sing at all. But, you know, Randy was a huge, huge piece of the how Wasp sounded and looked. And and it, when he Blackie on his own decided, well, it was his band, but he, he decided to fire Randy. When he fired Randy and we went in and did Electric Circus and then Live in the Raw, he was slowly fired, pulling the whole band apart. I was the next one to go. I got fired from Wasp. I didn't quit. You know, I I think I, I I thought you knew that, but I got fired from Wasp. And then after he fired me, he kept Chris for a few years, and then he fired Chris. So Blackie slowly dismantled Wasp, and it was a shame because that original Wasp with me, Randy, Chris, and Blackie, we were good. We were really, really good, and uh, we knew it too. And it was a shame that he did that. So I did the Live in the Rock album and that tour for Electric Circus, which was recorded. That that was the Live in the Raw album that we recorded pretty much on that tour for Electric Circus. So right after that tour, Blackie let me go. And so when he let me go, I mean, I was disappointed to the max big time because I really wanted to stay with the band. But I could also see that, you know, without Randy, it was a totally different sounded band. And that's nothing against Johnny Rod. But when Blackie let Randy go, he decided to be the second guitar player. And he couldn't match up with Randy what Randy did on guitar. So it was a totally different sounding band. And so... But even so, I was still 100% into Wasp. When he decided to let me go, that was a big disappointment. I really didn't know what I was going to do. And I had been, was living in an apartment at the time in Hollywood. So I just decided 
I got to stay sharp because I know I'm going to move on to another project. And I didn't even know about this second wave of music too. Wasp was so busy like Rat was in Motley and Dark and all of those bands. We were so busy touring. None of us even noticed this second wave of Guns N' Roses and L.A. Guns and Faster Pussycat and Jet Boy. We didn't even know about this next scene that was coming out of L.A. because we were always on the road. So I just decided to stay sharp, Mitch. And I said, I, I, I got to just go rent a studio, a small studio over at SIR put my drums in there and just play every day because I knew I was going to jump onto something. I didn't know what it was going to be. And while I was there practicing by myself, just playing drums, that's when Tracy popped into the room. He popped in there with Kelly and Mick and they popped in and they were big Wasp fans. And I had already knew Tracy was a big Wasp fan because when I hung out in LA on off time, he would come up to me and I didn't really know who he was. I just knew he was a, a, a big fan of Wasp and he would come up to me and say, hey, Steve, how you doing? And I would run into him a couple of times. So I knew he was a big Wasp fan. I never knew how much all the other LA Guns guys were too. And then recently finding out that Axel and all of those guys were big Wasp fans too. So, you know, they, they pop into the rehearsal room at SIR because they're right next door and they're ready to let their drummer go. And they were going to audition drummers and they popped in and said, do you want to do this? And they gave me their cassette tape. It wasn't even put together, which is why I am on the photo on the first album. When they were recording that first album, I was doing live in the raw. I was out on tour. So they gave me this cassette and said, our album's going to come out and do you want to do this with us? And you will make you a full member. Come on in. I went home and I listened to it and I thought it was really, really good. I, like I said, I thought the production lacked a little bit, but I thought the songs, I thought they were great. I just was like, wow, this is really good stuff. But you got to remember at the same time, they hadn't even done a gig outside of LA and only a very few gigs in LA. So when I joined LA Guns, my first gig with them was at the country club. And then we played a few more shows in town at the Troubadour and we played downtown at this hotel that was transformed into a rock club. So, you know, I, I, I joined and uh, it wasn't like a conscience, a conscious thing where I said, I'm gonna quit Wasp and start all over with a club band. It was, I was fired from Wasp, and I was the second member, the original members to be fired. And uh, I was found by these guys in LA Guns. They came into the room and they said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm not in Wasp anymore. And they said, do you want to do this with us? Our album hasn't even come out yet. And I listened to the cassette. It was a cassette with, all these handwritten shit on it. I didn't even know what was on the cassette. I just listened to it and uh, I was impressed. And I said, yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's go for it. And that's when we started doing a whole bunch of club dates. And uh, then we actually went out on the road. We got a tour. We went out with ACDC. We went out with a few bands on that very first album. 
But yeah, no, not a conscious effort of me going from Wasp to L.A. Guns. It was something that was yeah. just Put, happened. It was, you know. It was thrust upon you unwillingly. Uh, Renegades, of yeah. course. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ma- ma- malheureusement, uh, unfortunately, as we say in, in, in Quebec here. Uh, Renegades is out later, but I do, before we leave, I just want to ask you one thing, because I am a huge Kiss fan, as you are well aware. Uh, you did do that album with uh, Gene Simmons, and he's credited as producer, but of course it's 1985. He's off also doing the uh, Kiss Asylum album and the Kiss Asylum tour. How much of a producer was he? Was he there in the studio, or did he sort of show up every two weeks and go, what do you got, boys? Great. All right, let's get to... You know, What kind of producer was he? You know what? He was there from day one, because when I was... In, before everything, now in between the bees and me joining Kiel, I was doing every kind of little small thing around LA. Small little things, small little sessions for fifty bucks, for a hundred bucks, anything like doing demos for people. And so, at one of those demo things, Greg Chasen, the bass player from Badlands, ended up being the bass player on one of those sessions. He told me about Kiel. He said you should call them up. They're getting ready to do an album with Gene Simmons. I called them up and I said, give me a chance to come down and just play for you. I think that, you know, you guys will dig it. And I'd like to check this out with you. And, uh, I went down and I played with them. They really dug it. The next day, Gene was in that rehearsal studio with them and with me to check me out Gene loved it, and he says, yeah, let's move forward. Let's do this. And I was in. And from that point on, the whole pre-production of Kiel and the whole recording of the album, Gene was in there every single day. In fact, Gene not only was in there every single day, he, how's this? I, him and I ended up doing a lot of the background vocals on that Right to Rock album together. And so he not only produced it, he did the backgrounds and I got to sing with him, all of those backgrounds. And uh, Gene was a big, big influence on me. He was one of the great producers that I, I felt like I got to work with, with Todd Rundgren, Tom Worman, Andy Johns, Gene Simmons is in there. And believe me, he was totally hands-on with the Kale album all the way through because I was there and I saw it and I was very impressed by it. And that's why his impression on me stays with me till today because of how a producer is supposed to be there and be involved and make sure that, you know, everybody is doing what they have to do. And uh, yeah, no, Gene was in there and I just, for the record, he was in there every single day of pre-production and recording the whole thing. Wow, that that that's amazing, and I'm just uh, I'm trying to do the the math on this thing because it came out on uh, March 26, nineteen eighty five. So we're we're really looking at what thirty thirty five years now or something like that since it's come out. Yes, unbelievable. Yes, you know what? I had joined LA. I had joined Wasp because I had just finished my recording with Kiel. I had just finished doing all the background vocals with Gene Simmons in the studio over at the old record plant on third street. And when I was over there and I just finished the recording of the background vocals, that's when Blackie called me 
And that's when they offered me this wasp thing and us going out with Iron Maiden. And the offer was just so unbelievable that I was putting in a, put in a real weird position. Here I am sitting with Gene Simmons at the record plant, signed to A&M Records with Keel, doing a great album because I like the right to rock. I really like the album itself. And, uh, and then I get this offer from Wasp. So I'm actually out on the first Wasp tour when the Keel album came out in early 85. So it was a very, very strange thing because I'm out with Wasp. I'm in Wasp as a member. And then the Keel album came out and it was a strange thing because I really liked the Keel album. I really liked the right to rock. But, you know, I'm, I'm in Wasp when it came out. So it was a very strange situation. It was. And, and, and on that, we will say that everybody should have uh, the right to rock. And uh, Renegades out later this year. Crawl comes out in April. Uh, merci. Always, always a pleasure, Steve. Or should I say Stephen? Oh, I'm going to have to say Stephen now if, uh, if it's good enough for uh, <laughs> Dick Clark. I tell you what. <laughs> You know what? I, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of great people, Mitch. And I tell you what, that's what propelled me into producing this album and re, and and just re, leaning on everybody that I had worked with, all these great producers. And uh, that's why I was so happy to get to produce this new album, Renegades with LA Guns. I hope everybody checks out Crawl because it, the, the, the whole song itself is just a crooker. But... The album itself, I can't wait for people to hear because it, it's so well written. And I just I think everything came out great on it and that uh, the band really shines. And I just hope everybody checks out Renegades. There you go. Coming soon. Merci, monsieur. Thank you. Oh, Mitch, thank you so much, brother. I can't wait to see you, man. And you all be, be safe out there, okay, but It's the crazy times we're in. Yeah, and we've got M3 hopefully, hopefully coming up in uh, September uh, it's been moved, yeah. and uh, we will get to uh, to hang out, and and everybody should have that right to rock because it's man, it's hard just staying at home all day. Ah, uh, man, isn't it? It's really tough. And Mitch, I hope when we do see you at M three, you do film it again from out front because that was such a big thing for me and Kelly for you to record that and film that out front. That on itself really was such a catalyst for everything we're doing right now and we thank you so much and you're you're a friend for life and anything that i can do you you just call me up anything i could do for you brother you're a friend for life and please be safe out there okay thank you sir you too okay we'll talk talk soon brother this has been Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. For more exclusive content and interviews, subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and many more. Follow Mitch on all the socials, especially Twitter, at Mitch LaFon, and on Instagram, at Mitch underscore LaFon. Get your Mitch merch now at loudtracks.com slash Mitch.